From the heartland of America and the gateway to the West, good morning, good evening, wherever you may be across the nation, around the world. I'm George Norrie. This is Coast to Coast AM. Later tonight, UAPs in the nuclear puzzle. Here's what's happening. Israelis Benjamin Netanyahu was forced to apologize after sparking a lot of anger in his war cabinet when he blamed the country's security services for failing to anticipate Hamas's October 7th attack. The prime minister, who has since said he was wrong, wrote on social media claiming that they did not adequately alert him to an imminent Hamas attack, but instead reassured him that the group was deterred. Mortgage rates tumbled this week in the biggest one-week drop since last November. It's the second straight week that the rates have fallen after rising for seven consecutive weeks. The 30-year fixed-rate mortgage fell to an average of 7.50% in the week ending November 9th, down from 7.76. It's still too high, though. Investment analyst John Truman Wolf with us here. John, when are we going to get that down to 3.5% again? I don't know, George. I think we got a we got a long wait. I mean, these rates are uh, wrecking havoc on the economy, George. You know that the interest on the U.S. national debt is just short of a trillion dollars a year. Jeez. A trillion dollars, George. Uh, and that's because rates uh, have gone up. Um, so that's not good. Uh, unemployment or employment's good. Um, some investment sectors are good. George, uh, crypto has been doing very well this last week. Um, precious metals have been doing well. Um, uh, and as, as you note, uh, we had a, a tick down in interest rates, but they're still way too high. I mean, I refinanced what I think about two years ago at 3%. So we're more than way more than double that. And uh, Jerome Powell said, I think it was yesterday, that, you know, an increase is still on the table. So uh, debt and interest are the big bugaboos, George. Let's just keep our fingers crossed, John, that it's coming down. What's your website, John? Uh, Strategicfinancialintelligence.com. Super. John Truman Wolf, an expert on the economy. Beef prices have spiked to a record high recently as a mega drought that slammed the U.S. a few years ago has shrank cattle supplies. Retail prices hitting $8 a pound, topping the previous mark of $7.90 during the pandemic. Jeez, everything just seems to be going up. What's the average age of a person entering long-term care? Researchers from the University of Colorado's medical campus now have an answer to that difficult question, as well as how long older adults will likely live with a disability before opting for a nursing home. It turns out the number is now 84 years old, usually preceded by months of both severe disability and escalating caretaking by the person's loved ones at home. Shadow people. Are they evil? Heidi Hollis is the expert on shadow people. She's the one who coined the phrase. Heidi, tell us, first of all, what is a shadow person? Hey there, George. Well, shadow people are something that is darker than dark. It can shapeshift into all sorts of uh, small and large sizes and really have a menacing feel to them. Much, much different from a ghost. Are they evil? Oh, gosh, yes, they're evil. And, you know... I have to say, from the first moment that I came on Coast to Coast, I had thousands of stories pour in that first night. 
And over the years, it just keeps culminating to point to the fact that indeed these things are negative. And, you know, when you speak of something being dark, that's one thing. But when you talk about something having the absence of light, that's quite another. And that's the most common description that I get. And, uh, you know, every once in a while somebody will say, well, my shadow people experience wasn't negative because I wasn't afraid. I'm like, oh, it's just observing you. But sooner or later, it will take a step closer and you will feel, feel the entire wrath of the fear, unfortunately. Has a shadow person ever killed somebody, Heidi? You know, I'm pretty positive that they have because I've had people tell me how they've been attacked. They were uh, surprised that they survived or they had a nightmare where they weren't able to breathe and they sure enough wake up gasping for air and the, the pressure, the crushing pressure that they put people under, it's, it's just tremendous, um, insinuating them to kill themselves and all sorts of things. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it has been uh, a phenomenon that's gone unnoticed for far too long. Heidi's website is her name, HeidiHollis.com. Heidi, thank you so much, Heidi Hollis. Maintaining a healthy heart might be the secret to staying young, according to a new study. Researchers working with the American Heart Association discover that following the Life's Essential Eight checklist could help someone slow their aging process by as much as six years. That's a great idea. As a matter of fact, Eldon Taylor joins us in a moment where he says gratitude keeps you young. He's next on Coast to Coast AM. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you. We've got a great program for you tonight. Eldon Taylor with us has been researching the power of the mind for more than 35 years and is an expert in the areas of hypnosis and subliminal communication. For more than 10 years, Eldon specializes in criminalistics, where he supervised and conducted investigations and testing to detect deception. Eldon has also served as an expert trial witness about subliminal communication and hypnosis, is the creator of the patented Inner Talk technology, which has been demonstrated effective by numerous universities and institutions. He is the director of Progressive Awareness Research and is dedicated to sharing tools and techniques for improving the human experience. Eldon, always great to have you back on the program. Eldon, are you there? Did you hear me? There you are. Oh, I'm sorry, George. Yeah, yeah, it's great to be back with you. And I mean, you are the voice of radio. Uh, I catch you regularly, uh, usually not this time of night, though I will admit to that. Now, your new book out is called Questioning Spirituality. Tell me a little bit about that. Uh, it's a, um, I'll tell you, this, the background to it is, is simply this. My, I had two boys that went off to an Ivy, public Ivy, uh, graduated with degrees in computer engineering, went into the field, and by the time they got out of the University of Washington, they were no longer spiritual. Um, the idea of God as a Santa Claus, uh, uh, you know, comparable, let me say it that way, to the Santa Claus analogy. It's something children believe in, not something that discerning, intelligent people believe in. It's irrational. So, you know, that fouls against everything I personally believe, um, and it was my fault also that they were as easily seduced as they were. 
science has an answer for everything. Consciousness is a matter of emergent properties. Uh, the human being is, for all intent and purposes, an evolutionary um, manifestation that, that many think of as a meat machine. For all intent and purposes, as Sapolsky would say, we don't have free will. And we'll talk about that maybe as we get into this. But so bottom line was I had many conversations with my sons. As my youngest son says in an appendage in the book, Questioning Spirituality, we imbibed some, a few, you know, um, exchanges of scotch through the late night hours and discussed everything from the metaphysics of Aristotle to the science involved in quarks and neutrinos. And when I was done, both boys went away spiritual again. Perfect. But they get seduced because we have, we have this language that is all tied up with our, our notion, our construct of God, and that language defines a being that is irrational. And it's very easy for those who find spirituality to be a sugar-coated neurotic crutch, to use the words of Sigmund Freud. Uh, it's very easy for them to point out these problems. If God's omnipotent, can he build a rock so large he can't lift it? Uh, if if God is omnipotent and omnibenevolent, well, certainly he could have given Adam a perfect will. Why did he give him a deficient will? Whose sin is it then? God's, because he didn't give him a perfect will, or Adam's? And you, get, you, you run around in these chariots, and then you know that we have the immaculate conception stories, part mm -hmm. of Genesis, but they're not unique to Jesus. Horace, a half a dozen other founders of religions in history uh, or mythical people uh, have, have resurrected, have started their, their ministry at the age of 32, have had 12 apostles, uh, it's virgin birth. All of this accompanies a number of other. So when they come away, everything that they thought was, you know, the foundation of religion has been pretty well taken apart. How did you get interested, Eldon, in the power of the mind and the aging process? Well, you know, that's a good question. I like that one. Uh, bottom line is I was forced into it, George. Forced into it because 17 years ago, I had triple bypass surgery. Oh, my. And uh, I had the widow maker. Yep. So you, did. <clears throat> you were on the verge. Yeah, you know, it, it was the kind of thing that I looked at in 2020 hindsight and realized you know, when I was young, I never planned to live beyond the age of 60, maybe 61, 62. But in my mind, at that age, that's when everything just starts going downhill. And that seemed like a million years ago when you were that age. We're pretty close to that, George. I mean, I'm a couple of months away from paying into Social Security for 64 years. But I plan to pay it for another 20. And get your money out of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I collect it, but I still pay into it nowadays. Yeah. 
But at any rate, you know, back to your question, it, what happened was I, because I hadn't thought about living longer, you know, I, I lived pretty hard. And you, you get involved in criminalistics, you're running investigations and things, and you, you create bad habits. So I'd become a chain smoker, and I, you know, I could smoke a long day, three packs in a day. And, you know, I didn't exercise properly. I thought I had because I had horses and I was outdoors. And, you know, but no, I didn't do any cardiac stuff. And if I got, you know, a little bit hungry along about 8, 8.30 at night, you know, I'd go to the fridge, pull a block of cheese out and cut a big chunk out of it, and that would be my snack. I was doing all sorts of things that are the opposite of what you should be doing if you want a long, healthy life. But fortunately, by the time I get to be 60, I've married late in life. Mm -hmm. I've got two young men, and at that time, ages 7 and 11. And I do want to hang around. I don't want to go out. I don't want this puppy to end. So, you know, when I was in the hospital... I had my wife bring in a cardiac care program, an intertalk program that we've developed. And, uh, you know, I had the surgery late on a Wednesday night, came out of uh, uh, recovery Thursday morning, said, I'm going home because my son is just scared to death that, you know, I'm not going to make it. I'm going home on Saturday morning. I did go home on Saturday morning. Less than 30 days later, I was in my office. And it was all because of a switch I made in my head. And, and we can all make that switch. And it's not too late to make the switch. That's one of the things that I learned. You know, at the time I had this surgery, you would have thought it was too late for me to have it. But it wasn't. And, you know, to this day, there are all sorts of folks that I run into. Just the other day, I was my local mechanic. And I know the people. I've been doing business with them uh, 25 years. And I'm talking to John, and John's relatively new. He's been there, I don't know, a year now. And um, he's out front. And I see they've got a 66 poster on the wall, Route 66. And I said to him, did you ever get down Route 66 before they tore up all the roads and things? He said, oh, no. I said, oh, it was quite a drive. There was a TV show, Route 66, with a couple of guys. I remember that. Corvette, you yeah. know. It was a great TV show. Did you ever see it? I remember yeah. it, sure. Yeah, well, George, you're dating yourself. And, and anyway, John says to me, no, I didn't. And I say, I'm dating myself, I, you know. And he says, hey, I'm 52. And I looked at him, and I said, you know, I've got more than 25 years on you. And I swear to you, his mouth dropped. I mean... And, and he didn't believe that that was the case. You looked that young. That's how it gets read by the people around me. Uh, you know, I, my wife is a beautiful woman, 18 years younger than I am. We've been married over 30 years. Uh, and, you know, fortunately, uh, I don't get taken to be 18 years older than her. So, you know, I kind of like that. Good for you. Good for you. You've talked about gratitude in the past. Why is that so important? Well, it turns out to be a bit of a magic bullet. 
there are a lot of things that I used. You know, I I was familiar with a lot of this research, and I had just basically done a psychological law of self-exception. I had, even though I was familiar with it, I didn't do anything about it. And I think there's a lot of us in that place. You know, we know what good habits are. We know what bad habits are. But for a variety of reasons, we just simply ignore them. Um, I remember Ellen Langer's research where she took eight men in their 70s up into the mountains, put them in a cabin, and everything in that cabin was designed to be younger than them, 1959. So 20 years younger. Um, They had old black-and-white television. The movies on it were movies that would have played in 1959, uh, shows, TV shows of 1959. Old ones. Wall hangings, uh, the magazines, 1950. She did her very best to just wrap everything around them, dated in that era. Okay. Well, when the experiment was done, they had done pre- and post-tests on these people. And what they found is that after being immersed in this environment, and and here's an important point, because they had a control group to this, too. And a lot of when people talk about this study, they often forget the control group. A group was told just to imagine they were younger, and this group was told, while they're in this environment, just behave. Remember what it was like and behave younger. So the test group coming out, they tested stronger and better in dexterity, grip strength, flexibility, hearing, vision, memory, cognition. But here's an interesting side to that. The control group also tested better, not, not as much better, but they also tested better. So it turned out that just changing the mindset of the subject was enough to reverse some of the aging issues. That's a, that was a pretty important That's thing huge. to me. So, you know, I looked at that and I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to practice what I preach. I'm going to create a younging program, an intertalk younging program, and I'm going to immerse myself in it. I'm going to, I'm going to get myself a collector car. What was a good year? 1969 was a great year for me. So I get a 1969 Impala Super Sport convertible, and I restore it. Bet you but wish you had, bet you wish you still had it, huh? <laughs> no, you know, I, 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 no. This is what I did after the cardiac. Okay. I put the top down. I put Sugar Sugar on. It was a number one song in 1969. I turn up the volume. I go for a cruise. You know, I begin to immerse myself in that older era. And as I did these kinds of things, I began to feel better. I began to, you know, um, sense that I was younger. The cardiac, I healed very rapidly from that. I amazed my doctors. The first stress test I had, they told me I had a heart of a 30-year-old. That's great. Uh, hold, on, hold on for a second, Eldon. We're going to take a break. We'll come right back. Eldon Taylor with us. His website is his name. By the way, in 1959, the number one TV shows, Gunsmoke, Wagon Train, Half Gun Will Travel, Danny Thomas, 
Father Knows Best and Wanted Dead or Alive. We'll be back with more. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you, Eldon Taylor with us. We'll take calls with Eldon next hour. Tell you a little bit more about that later. Eldon, I'm going to sound a little bit like I'm from the Beverly Hillbillies, but what do you mean by younging? You know, George, I, I when I look at everything, I look at the expectation that people have about aging, how it's sold to us in, in all of the the ads that we see on TV and, and, and mirrored very often and how people look and behave as they get older. We think of aging and we think, you know, cognitive difficulties, deficiencies develop, you know, bad joints, maybe knee replacements. Uh, yeah, this whole list of images that come to mind when you speak of aging. The problem is, and, and, and a bit of a digression here, we know that life expectancy recently has decreased in America. Which is unprecedented. That's it's right, and, and especially for a modern society such as our own when it's extending in other societies like ours. So when you, when you look at that, you, you have to ask why. Well, you know, I think the biggest reason is because our society, our medical institution, they do two things. They sell you sickness. I, I watched the Republican debate last night, okay? Uh, not not intriguing, by the way. Three in four of the commercials were sickness commercials. Yes. You know, and, and I don't watch television typically, so I'm not accustomed to seeing. I mean, you just you are just overwhelmed by that. And what about and the disclaimers? The healthcare system fixes illness. It doesn't teach us wellness. So it's all, our entire system is about sickness, George. We need a word that reverses that. Instead of aging, we need younging, because we have solid evidence that young, not just stay young in the mind, which is very helpful, that's important, but you can literally young your physiology. You can, you literally can look younger, walk younger, Stand taller, sit more erect, have more strength. You literally can reverse that aging process. So I coined the word. I think mean, we just simply need the opposite of aging. How about younging? And, and that's how I refer to it. Now, you say we're programmed to age. Explain that. Yeah, well, the programming happens when we're very young. And, and in fact, it happens so still, so consistently, that I've got a son turning 30 this year, and he doesn't even want to celebrate his birthday. <laughs> it's horrible. He, he's over the hill at 30. He's, he's done with it. perception. Yeah. You, you think about how and where we get these perceptions. And, again, we can go to the media. We are inundated with products that are designed to tell us we're going to get old, but there's a fix for us. You know, we can get some Botox, or we can have a knee replacement, 
or are we going to have, you know, skin graft? It, it, and, and, the, and when we see uh, older people, we're typically shown those people that have not aged well. At, in the year 2000, celebrating that year, turning the calendar, 1999 to 2000, New Year's Eve, I happened to catch a program on centenarians, people who had been around longer than the century. They were over 100 years old. There's a few out there. And, and you know, this program focused on the healthier ones. I saw 100-year-old men playing tennis uh, and playing it hard and looking like they were maybe... 70 at the most, 60, I would say at that time. It's amazing. You keep what busy. What we don't see is the healthy side of aging. That's not presented to us. Not until you find one who's 106 and then they illustrate him. But you're absolutely right. But I have found that you keep active, you stay younger. You keep your brain fresh. Do that's, you agree? That's absolutely right. You know, I'm in my office every morning around 8.30. Uh, usually go home, work out. My, I've got a gym in my own home. So I usually, you know, head over to the house somewhere between 4 and 5. Uh, but I'll put a full day in, and I'm still reading the latest literature, creating new things. I mean, since that cardiac, I've written seven books, done I don't know how many videos and, and audio programs. Um, Stay creative, stay involved, and the gratitude. Come back to that. You you mentioned that several times. It is a magic bullet. Uh, in fact, I think it's so important that George, you know, in honor of you, your show, bringing me on to talk about this, anybody, all of our listeners, can simply go to my website, eldentaylor.com. There's a banner on that page that that is in honor of George Nury. They click on that. They can get their own free gratitude attitude program. Um, download it and work with it. But I'll tell you what happens. When you have gratitude, you change the neurochemistry and the physiology of your own body. Um, you know, you've heard me say this before. We, the body has basically like a government, analogous to a government, three systems. You know, the endocrine, the immune and, and the autonomic nervous system, and two programs they run on. They run on defense or they run on growth. That's right. If, if we have stress in our body, if, if we're looking at life, it sucks, and then you die. If, if we're, oh, my goodness, another day. If, oh, oh, do you know what's happening in the world? The interest rates are crazy. I can't afford to buy a house. You know, the poor Palestinians, that, you know, anything you want to pick. Where people are generally in their lives when you turn on the news, that is poison to you. If you look at life, on the other hand, with that positive attitude, that thank you, thank you, thank you, here's a little trick. I start every morning with thank you, thank you, thank you, and I put a big Cheshire smile on my mouth. <laughs> what happens when you do that is you release endorphins. Those endorphins bathe the body. They're, that's the body's natural opiates. 
And the body says, oh, I do feel good. And the thank you, and it doesn't matter what you're saying to or who you're saying it to, the thank you sets you up with a different expectation. It's a positive expectation. That, that's, that's an immune booster. That strengthens the autonomic and the endocrine. That, for all intent and purposes, is, is a magic bullet to extending your life. I'll tell you another one that I do that is very powerful. And that's a great idea, Bob. Laughter. Laughter has been shown in study after study to extend your life. Huge. Okay? Every morning when I first come into my office, I find something funny. It might be a story. It might be a joke. It might be a meme, a picture, something. And that's what goes on my social networking pages. First thing every day. It sets humor up. I laugh at it. And I think those people that follow me, they get a kick out of it, too. Okay? What happens to people, Eldon, who wake up depressed, crying, and upset every morning? Well, they, they, they actually exacerbate the aging process. Worst of all, they, they reduce their immune system. Uh, the opposite of that is, is an immunology, if you will, an antidote to aging and illness. The, the research shows clearly that depression will not just age you. Uh, it leads to disease, early onset heart failure, um, a host of, of conditions that are unhealthy for you. So the practical side of everything says we want to turn our life around. I'll tell you what else, George. One of the things that I talk about in spirituality, questioning spirituality, is the pragmatic side of what you get out of being spiritual. And among those pragmatics is you'll live longer, you'll be happier, you'll be healthier, you'll be more likely to be monogamous, happy in your relationships. In other words, life will be better. Humor, gratitude, forgiveness. Forgiveness is another big one, George. You know, when we ran that double-blind study at the Utah State Prison uh, on utilizing the InterTalk technology to change the way the inmates talk to themselves, we went specifically after trying to create self-responsibility. Because when you talk to these inmates, what you learned was they displaced the responsibility. They blamed everything on somebody else. That's what happens to a lot of people. You don't have to be a criminal to realize that life sucks because you're allowing it to suck. It's not because somebody did something to you. It's how you responded to the stimuli. You could respond differently and have a better life as a result. All right. So in that study at the Utah State Prison, we incorporated three messages. I forgive myself. I forgive all others. I am forgiven. When I first proposed this, custod there was some feedback from custodial people that they, they didn't think that was maybe the best idea. 
maybe they'd you know, actually go out and recommit if they forgave. They had a clean slate. But the pro- that didn't happen. What happens when you do that is you eliminate your ability to blame. There's nobody to blame now. You take responsibility yourself, and that's actually really empowering. So that step in forgiveness empowers an individual, and that, that too becomes one of those ways that we reframe this, this dialogue we have, this self-talk we have, this, this set of beliefs that it's inside the head that's so automatic in order to gain free will, in order to gain happiness. You know, free will is another issue. Hey, look, when you look at all of the data today, it's pretty overwhelming. Libet with his multicranial, which you and I have talked about before, back in the 50s said there's no such thing as free will. We have activity in the unconscious before there is a conscious decision to move. Haynes comes along and he uses functional magnetic resonance imaging, fMRI. And he discovers that his technicians can determine what you're going to do within six to ten seconds before you consciously make the decision to do it. All right. Libet's looking at hundreds of millions of neurons. Haynes, quite a few, you know, uh, a fraction of that. But now Fried has done some work uh, using um, electrodes in the brain. And he's looking at single neurons. And the single neurons are giving us correlation. That data says that whatever you're going to do, that decision is made in your mind before you're consciously aware of it up to 10 seconds in advance. We, we run on an automatic robot. This, this automaticity that's coming out of our mind, that automaticity is something we have to discover if we have any free will. How Otherwise, imp- it's an illusion. How important is happiness to the scheme of things? Well, you know, happiness is absolutely of essence. These things that we're talking about are all designed to produce happiness. Um, if, if I'm not happy, uh, I am going to be on that scale that you spoke about, you know, depression, uh, nervousness, anxiety, uh, stress, uh, general unhappiness. Um, and, and, and again, those, that's the opposite of where we want to be if we want to live a long, healthy life. Interesting. Is there any science that backs any of this up? Yeah, you know, there's a lot of it. In fact, I told you about uh, Langer's study. Uh, there's, a, there's a series of studies. A study that was conducted at uh, Harvard University using uh, um, a flight simulator, two groups of people. Uh, a group put on flight suits and pretended to be Air Force pilots. Well, guiding a simulated flight. Then they performed 40% better in vision tests afterwards compared to the group that was in a broken simulator and just pretending to fly a plane. Another study out of Harvard, 
uh, in this particular group, healthy subjects, watch videos of people coughing and sneezing. Here, come back to what I said about selling sickness and TV ads. Yeah. All right. These people that watch this video were told to just pretend that they had colds. When this was done, the study was done, uh, 40% of those in the test group reported they had cold symptoms compared to 10% that was in a control group just told to pretend without this video. And what's most important, um, using their saliva, they had elevated immune system response. So it wasn't just, yeah, I have this cold symptom, I think, because I've been pretending to have it. It was indeed an elevated response in the body, a, a nocebo effect, if you will. Um, there have been studies, one of my favorites, one I think a seminal study was carried out by David Phillips at the University of California, San Diego. He wanted to know how important is belief when it comes to what you're going to experience in life. The Asian belief system when it comes to birth signs, is quite a bit. It, it isn't like our Western. It is, is quite well believed by most. So what he did is he simply looked at the history of individuals who died over the last, I, I think it was 20 years. Don't hold me to that, but it was a, it was a long period of time. If in, in, in Asia... If you're born under the sign of the dog, you know what your vocation's going to do, what you're going to be good at. Hold, hold on for a second, Eldon. Let's get you to finish that when we come back, and we'll take phone calls next.